Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Hello and welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. This week we're going to be doing something a little bit different. If you've been with us for the last few episodes, you'll have heard Marcus bring us some thoughts on resilience, pressure and rest. And this week, we're going to get quite practical about that subject. We are, as a staff team, who I'll introduce to you now, we're going to discuss the topic of resilience and how we apply that to our lives and how we've approached that topic with the people that we serve So it is my joy to welcome on this week all of the Living Leadership staff team. So if everyone could take the opportunity to introduce themselves and probably for our discussion, it would be really helpful for people to know our contexts so people can understand how we have challenges around this topic of resilience as well. So who would like to go first with introducing themselves? I'll go first. So I'm Marcus. I'm the Director of Living Leadership, uh, and I have been for the last 15 years. I'm married to Roz. We have a six-year-old son. And uh, having a six-year-old son when you're in your early 50s is one of the big challenges to resilience because life gets uh, all over the place, as it does for many parents, and particularly when we're all precipitated into home learning during a COVID season. Uh, My particular interest and passion is encouraging and helping and discipling folk in church leadership. So I run across in my day job the whole range of issues that they face in terms of too many demands, overheated uh, pressure cooker environments very often, and trying to figure out how to have patterns and habits and rhythms that allow uh, God to inject his love, joy and grace into our lives. Paul, do you want to go next? Sure. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, I'm Paul Coulter. I'm based over in Northern Ireland, so my accent does place me. Uh, I live here with my wife, Garling, who's in elderly care medicine, and my two children who are, well, they both think they're teenagers. One is 12 and one's 14. So they've been having home schooling. Uh, My wife's been going out to work. I've been staying at home working and Thankfully, the children at this age don't need a lot of attention um, with homeschooling. But at the same time, it's been very much a restriction of my physical world into the four walls. Um, But at the same time, my wife going out to work. So that's been a a strange dynamic. Um, And my role with living leadership, really, my my role is developing the work across the UK and Ireland. So the the increased use of Zoom technology and so on has really helped with that, actually. It's meant that I'm on a level with folks who are across the water. I don't have to travel so much. But at the same time, it just limits the depth of those relationships. So I think like a lot of folks have been experiencing a bit of Zoom fatigue just to get to the end of the day and your eyes are really tired and your brain is, I think, equally tired. So uh, certainly challenges that this time's brought, but also opportunities. Okay. Yeah, hi, I'm Claire. I live in Surrey and I'm married to Martin, who works in IT. And um, we have two girls, age seven and 10. 
So there's been a lot of homeschooling going on. <laughs> I work part-time for Living Leadership and have done for the last 10 years. I'm technically called operations manager, which basically means I do all the boring but necessary stuff with finance and HR and things like that. And um, yeah, my I also work part-time for my church as church administrator. So I juggle two part-time jobs and in recent months, the full-time job of overseeing the schooling of uh, of two two kids as well. And me, I'm Jess. I'm based up in the Midlands, and I do ministry support and communications for Living Leadership. I'm single, um, which perhaps is a, a different experience of the pandemic and of of life than my colleagues. And I live in a shared house. So yeah, I work full time for Living Leadership and then in my private life, which um, does require some extra energy, I'm heavily involved in leading the youth work at my church. So that also adds some pressures at times in the year. So that's an introduction to all of us. And um, thankfully, I was thinking the other day, we've all got slightly different accents. So for an audio medium, I think we're a good roundtable to have because hopefully everyone will work out who's talking every time we talk. So we've all just identified some of the stuff that I guess are pressures or challenges to resilience, persevering, enjoy with the Lord in this season for us. But just... um. I wondered if anyone else has got any other thoughts on some of those those really practical challenges that either we've seen in ourselves or in some of the people we have relationships with or serve. What are some of those challenges that you feel right now to to being resilient in our in our faith and in our lives? I think if I have uh, yeah, if I have two words, they would probably be overwhelming and weariness. I think that people, we're, we're all experiencing the first globally experienced trauma of our lives. And everybody in our church is working to the point of destruction, parents overwhelmed with life changes, singles, um, all of a sudden, no, no easy access to friendship. And we know we want to be beacons of gospel hope, we want churches to be cities on a hill, lamps on a stand, but everybody's exhausted. And uh, loads of us as church leaders as well, um, familiar with the weariness that comes from well-doing. But I think I think those two things for me, overwhelm and weariness, are the things that are most likely to get us to sacrifice our peace. I don't think I had really realised how much I relied on seeing people face to face each week at church, in small group. Um, until I couldn't do that. I, I, I think in recent years, I, I viewed myself as having become more introvert than I used to be when I was younger, which I suspect is um, something to do with um, having worked from home since I had children and, and therefore, you know, just my day becoming slightly more uh, reduced in terms of physical contact with people. But until, until it's completely taken away and you're not just having that contact on the school run or in small group once a week or, or even just the, the casual chat that doesn't go very deep, you know, over coffee and a biscuit after church, I didn't realize how much that did to, to sort of boost me. And even just the casual 
um, question about how you're doing spiritually, um, let alone, you know, the deep conversation, just realizing how, how much you miss that. And yet also, I've been astounded at how, in one sense, how quickly you adjust to a new normal, um, which is also a little scary in terms of thinking about how you, you know, you, you start to reintroduce that into your lives later, hopefully. Yeah, I can definitely, that talking to people, I think I realized, so there's that verse, isn't it, that talks about sharing burdens, that actually part of that overwhelm for me felt like there weren't as many occasions to share burdens I have with other people. So almost have that burden or or spread that out, have a bit of a release valve and actually the removal of some of those or or the way in which they became much more of an effort than they'd ever been before. Um, whether that's to be intentional to seek out people to discuss these things with, or just as Paul, you mentioned, just that the Zoom taking more energy than perhaps a face to face of a coffee did. I think um, it took me a long time to appreciate that that was that that was very fundamental mm. to me not being overwhelmed to make sure that however possible those things were still happening uh, and yeah and the challenge to keep prioritizing that as things change as well I think that's that has been an ongoing challenge as rules have changed as situations have changed knowing that is a priority I think that's interesting Jess I find that interesting about keeping things a, a priority I think you're right it's now as Claire was saying we don't have those casual passing on the way out of the church building or passing in the street so easily. So you have to be intentional. Uh, and I've noticed that even with our own home group that we're part of, that some folks have just dropped off from attending and they're saying that this is just they don't they find it too tiring at the end of a day of work. And I, I'm sympathetic with that. But at the same time, I can't help but think, well, just because something takes that effort, we all need that and we need it from one another. So I suppose finding the ways to do that but the other thing that strikes me is is the diversity of responses so you know i i don't think i could say we're all overwhelmed or we're all overtired or you know i i know folks who've actually benefited hugely from this in other words it's it's been a break in what had been an unhealthy pattern of working you know i know folks who have said they've really appreciated the concentrated time with their family for example less activity for the children I think maybe particularly children at my age um uh, you know the age of mine rather <laughs> that are are often in the modern world going out to so many different things and actually simplifying that has been good and healthy and I suspect that's true for our churches as well that some of the simplifying of things has been a good and healthy process but I'm also conscious that because of the diversity of things I mentioned earlier, my wife goes out to work. I don't. And there have been moments where, you know, she said, oh, you don't know what it's like to still be going out to work and the pressure that puts on. And of course, the three of us who are stuck at home are saying, well, you don't know what it's like to be stuck at home. And, and that, in a sense, that's just a little microcosm of what's going on more widely that depending on our personality types, some of us thrive with the simplification and the reduction of travel others are really struggling with that our experiences of all of this have been so different i think there's huge potential for misunderstanding and even for division 
within the church and and you know lack of unless we're very intentional about thinking and listening to one another and understanding our unique experiences of this we could yeah we could f- draw further apart rather than closer together that would be a concern i would have yeah and i guess actually we're all alluding to um it feels like we're at this moment now so we're recording this podcast on the 24th of March. So we're just a few days away from in England, which is where three of the four of us are having another kind of rollback of some rules, being able to see some more people. Northern Ireland and all the all the parts of the UK have their own roadmaps out of this. So we're really at a, it feels like a turning point in this experience of this last year. And so as I've been thinking about that, I think feeling like we are on the real cusp of change and there's an ability to do that well and perhaps a ability to do that badly or at least something that needs to be considered for for everybody and so I'd be really interested whether it's how we're thinking personally about that or some of what we see in people around us what are you thinking about how you continue to be resilient and to persevere through this time of change I think normal is is the word that we're hearing a lot. And it's a really interesting word because it implies that that was January 2020. And that was that was what we're all desperate to get back to. But when God changes things, you, you never go back. And even if we're either able to get back to some semblance of that or to recreate it with new technology, we're all different people anyway. We all all changed, we're all wearier, many of us have been bereaved, and we've been pulled this way and that, and we've been confronted with mortality in ways that are entirely um, unusual in our culture. So I think normal, yeah, what's, what's normal is an interesting question. I think there's a rapidly emerging new world in front of us, and that is not normal. It's terrifying, but there are opportunities too. The danger, I think, for for many of us is that we don't know what those opportunities are yet. And we're faced with a desperate desire for stability and familiarity, which means that we'll just uh, ask the question, how can we get back to the best version we had of what we had previously? I'm, I'm really not sure that's the right question. I think the right question is something along the lines of how can we draw near to God and and wait on him? and see what he wants to do. Let's pray, because it's those who wait on the Lord who renew their strength. But in you know, in my church culture, that feels a little bit like wasted time, perhaps learning to press into God and live in a healthier way towards him. That feels vague when people want concrete and want to say, well, tell us how you're going to get out of this and what things are going to be like in a year's time. And we don't even really know what questions to ask, let alone what the right answers are for them. But it's it's hard to say when somebody says, just tell me what, what we're going to be doing. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be praying, depressurizing, decluttering, concentrating on the, the simple things. So we're going to nourish one another in the world. We're going to pray. We're going to worship and have community and put everything else in a holding pattern. That just feels like, that feels like failure, I think, to, to some folk. Uh, but I hope that we might want to embrace some of that more and more and actually provide the margins in which the Lord can lead us in fresh ways. 
I think I've been thinking through as well how I've had to change my perspective on this time, a bit like you're saying, Marcus, into being um, almost approaching it as I've got to learn this new, this new phase, this new season, and actually approaching it as that kind of amateur person that's learning. And whether that's the practical things of life or whether that's some of my spiritual rhythms um how I Sabbath looked vastly different in the last 12 months than what previously I would have done and there's an opportunity for it to begin to look different again but actually to be approaching that with a a learning heart knowing things have changed and actually I need to learn what is right for this next season of life and faith what does it look like to rest the practicalities of resting in the Lord on a Sabbath or in the week that too may change for me that changed a lot over the last year and no news to you guys but to the listeners I obviously joined living leadership in that time and so I've had a change to a job working at home so my pattern of life changed in the last year and actually it will change again and so learning to approach that as a, an amateur, as someone that's learning how this will look in the next season, not presuming how it will look in the next season is definitely a challenge that I feel and I'm praying through at this moment. I think it's one of the things I have to remember, and I think it, I think it's vital really for, for all, is that everybody's different. And yeah. so, you know, there are some people who, who for months have just been itching to get out of this period, want to, want to, you know, be able to meet up, want to be able to resume, um, as many of our church programs as possible immediately. And, and, you know, when the time comes that a lot of church programs can be resumed in person, they will be you know, they'll be the first people there going, yes, come on, I've got so much energy, I desperately want to be doing this. But there'll be other people who who are sort of dragging themselves out of this period on their knees, absolutely exhausted. And a church leader mentioned um, a month or two ago, oh, well, you know, our Sunday school teachers will have had over a year of rest where they haven't been teaching. Um, so, you know, they'll all be itching to come back. Well, they may not have been teaching Sunday school, but they will undoubtedly have been teaching their own kids, you know, day in, day out, plus trying to balance, um, you know, jobs that they're trying to work. Um, and I think uh, disproportionately, I think the, the burden has fallen a lot on, on women, on mothers in terms of homeschooling children, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think for, for a lot of people, they are going to come out of this period utterly shattered. And I think we have to be very careful about assuming that programs can just start up again, you know, exactly as they were before. And we may need a period of adjustment, a sort of gradual growth, stepping up to things and reviewing, you know, what what, what is possible? What can we do? What should we do? Given not just the needs of the I mean, I'm thinking particularly in terms of Sunday school children and youth programs, but um, but in terms of everything, in terms of those who, who need to receive those things for their own spiritual growth, but also in terms of those delivering them, are they able to keep doing that? You know, do, do they need more time 
you know, do you still have the the team of volunteers that you had back in, you know, February 2020? And to be honest, I look back to February 2020. Was that was that some idyllic time that we longed to get back to? I mean, it wasn't. You know, surely there's room for improvement. I think that question, Claire, of room for improvement, and I, I mean, I loved what you were saying, Claire, about what we should do, because I think that's my big question, both personally and I think for the church, is to understand what our priorities are, what are the things that are of greatest importance. And this has forced us at least to restrict some of what we do and, and thinking about what do we prioritize when we go back. I mean, I've, I've thought about that, for example, um, when people have been very eager to get back to sung praise. And I, I love sung praise. I mean, I really do. And I miss it. But then I'm, I'm hearing less talk about getting back to communion, for example, which actually strikes me that both biblically and theologically is of even greater significance. And so it's those kinds of questions of saying, well, what are our priorities? Uh, and I suspect, I, I try and look at a longer term historical perspective on this, that the way we've been living over the last year is probably closer to the way most people have lived throughout most of history than what we were doing in January 2020. In other words, things being much more local, much more life revolving around the home, work revolving around the home, parents when it goes well, sharing responsibilities both for, for work and for childcare in the home. Uh, but that is very strange to us because we've got used to a way of living that is actually the odd way in a sense. It's the, it's the old normal that we think is the old normal that was more abnormal. And maybe there's something true about that with church as well. So if, if spending more time with our children can help us, those of us who are Christian parents, to realize that our responsibility to teach them and nurture them in the faith and the primacy of that. It's not to say we don't do any children's or youth ministry. I think those things are wonderful. I've benefited from them. My children have. But there's always the danger, isn't there, that those things become, for us as Christian parents, that's where our children get discipled or taught. Um, and, and maybe there's a way to redress that balance now to say that the primary responsibility is with the parents and with the wider community, not only those who volunteer in those programs, but how are we as families, as parents, whether and, and as single people within the church, how do we all model faithfulness to one another? How do we how do we build that kind of community where actually the thing we're longing for is simply to eat together and share together and enjoy the Lord together and talk about him and and break bread together and pray together and hear the word together that's less focused on the structured ordered services and perhaps even on the building but I do think there's a risk for us too that the technology that we've all got better at I think does open up real possibilities to do more in the online space and that's wonderful but that could be pulling an intention against this potential of something that is more embodied local uh, and perhaps more effective at reaching out to people who live close to us, who actually will, I think, be looking more for that than they are for more online content. So I don't think we shouldn't do the online content. I think we should, but we've got to make sure we we don't let that draw us further away from the value of what is physical and present 
because this pandemic has taught us how much we miss physical touch, how much we missed having a cup of coffee with each other, those simple things. Those are the fact that we miss those so deeply is telling us these are things that God has created us for. And that's true in our fellowship. It's also true in our evangelism, our outreach. So great opportunities to learn, but maybe the for me at least there are idolatries, aren't there, that have been challenged profoundly in this. The things that I took for granted, the things that I looked to for my release and my pleasure and my that that just they aren't available anymore. Um, but learning then to be more thankful for the things that I do have. Uh, and I think for society, I, I very much hope we don't go back to the way things were in January 2020. And I don't mean I know this will be very painful economically and for families with redundancy and so on. I understand that. But I was thinking this just the other day. I mean, Tesco, close to me, there are other supermarkets available, but uh, it's the one closest that used to be 24 hours a day. Is it a bad thing that it isn't any longer? I suspect it isn't. I think that might be good for some of the people who are having to work night shifts you know, it's probably good for me who might have wandered in there at three o'clock in the morning and should have been tucked up in my bed. Um, so, you know, there, there may be things that we could learn societally that would actually be healthier for us as well as individually. One of the questions that Marcus posed in his episode that he did recently, sorry to use your own words to you, Marcus, but one of the questions that you posed was what patterns help you draw water from the satisfying wells of salvation? A really great, challenging question that gets really practical on a really individual level. And I think it's been really great for us to consider some of the implications for churches in this season. But thinking about individuals, what patterns help you or have helped people you know to fuel their personal relationship with Jesus, that spiritual resilience? I suppose I'd better pick up on that first then. Um, I think the key word is patterns. In many senses, we are the sum of our habits. And we've all got habits, um, whether they're good ones or bad ones, and whether they help us or not is, is a different kind of question. Some of us have chaotic habits that damage our spiritual vitality rather than nourish it. And I think a particular question underlying that is how we use our diaries. You know, we're used to using our diaries for uh, work purposes and for our social lives, but not considering how we use them in ways that are spiritually positive as opposed to spiritually negative. So what, is, what, what diary patterns that help us have habitual rhythms, especially Sabbath, you mentioned, Jess, that open us up to God injecting his love, joy, peace, and, and goodness into our lives. When we're talking about resilience, I think at rock bottom for me is the fact that Jesus is a rock and he is, he's the one who, he's the one who's resilient. I am not resilient. None of us are resilient to a global pandemic. He's not shaken when we are, and we want to be in him. We want to be connected to the rock. We want to be in the vine. So for me, the question comes down to what are my habits like for how to do that? Jesus says, John 15, that you remain in his love by having his words in you, by obeying his commands and by loving one another. Or um, another passage, Philippians 4, says, uh, talks about the transcendent peace of God, doesn't it? The peace of God, which guards your heart and minds. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what I think we're thinking about with resilience. How do we get the shalom of God? And there it's linked to rejoicing in the Lord, uh, nurturing gentleness, prayer, and thankfulness that casts out anxiety. It's just so much anxiety at the moment that's uh, so good for destroying our peace and our joy in God. So for me, the, the basic question underlying, I think, for remaining in the vine, habitually remaining in the vine, is um, how can I be a person of prayer? And that was inimical to me in my early ministry days. How can I be an activist, evangelist, dashing around all over the place, doing this, that, and the other, and being seen to be doing loads of stuff that people applauded me for? And now, now the question for me is, well, people might think that praying is not profitable compared with running some activity that they value. But we want to be deep people. We want to be like trees planted by streams of living water. So how we habitualize and diarize that, how we pray until we pray, like the old folk used to say, um, I think is probably the most important thing for me. I think it's been very difficult for people who are, naturally activists because all the activities have been taken away <laughs> and you can't do them and uh and in one sense all that's left is prayer um i think i think for a lot of people that i've been speaking to um who have been struggling with varying levels of anxiety during the last year it's because so many of the normal thing the norms that they have relied on for stability in their lives have been taken away, whether that's activities or, or work patterns um, or, or even just um, you know regular family interaction. It's all been taken away. And the number of times that I have needed to say to myself and to others that I've been speaking to, you know, God is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And at the moment, it looks like that's the only thing that is unchanging. He is the only thing that is unchanging, and we must cling to him. In the last few days, I, I've been thinking about uh, this this podcast recording coming up, and I've been thinking about this this topic of resilience and thinking, actually, there have been times in the last year where I've just been clinging on. It's felt like clinging on just, you know, by my fingertips, but I'm clinging to him. and you know, I'm still there clinging on. For some people, I've seen massive growth over the last year, and that's been hugely encouraging. I've seen some people, you know, growing massively in their relationship with him, in their walk with him, and, and this has been such a wonderful time for them. I've seen others struggling hugely. And for me, there have been times when I'm just clinging on. But if you're clinging to a rock, there is a sense of security there. And I keep having the same conversation with people again and again. It's, and it's just cling on, cling on. And yes, there may be whole days, whole weeks where there there is no time to, there's nothing in your diary, but there's no free time in your day at all because of all the different pressures of work and family and the fact that however much you may love your family, they are always there. And you can't get away from them unless you go out and have a walk. That's basically your only option to get away from these lovely people who are just always there. 
And then you think the, the time to have a sort of traditional quiet time is just not there because you're constantly being interrupted. You know, the number of times it's like, Mom, can I have this? Mom, I'm tr- struggling with that. Mom, my Zoom calls crashed. And yet every day I'm sitting down and I'm reading the Bible with my kids before they go to bed. I have read more of the International Children's Bible in the last year than I have of my own new international version. But it's still God's word and it's still getting read. And we're getting a chance to have a little chat about it with a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old. And I forget that, you know, that's, that's really valuable too. I think what you say there, Claire, about um, about just clinging on, that, that verse comes to mind in Psalm 27 where David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever uh, because he keeps me safe in the day of trouble and he hides me in his tabernacle and he sets my feet upon a rock. Somebody said to me they think the Lord's doing some sifting between two different types of leaders just to bring it down to, to, to leaders. And there, there's the clinging on types who are just going to be pressing in and wanting to pray. And then either because they're wired that way or because they think other people are desperate for it, there are going to be the types that that say, we're resilient in ourselves. Come to us to get safety and we'll sort you out and see you through. But nobody's nobody's up to that. That's That's going to fall off the perch because nobody is resilient to to these things but somebody also said to me the trouble is that i think actually my congregation want me to be the resilient one not the not the clinger on one uh they want somebody that they can gather to who sends them all the right signals and i'm really tempted to play up to it because that's what they demand and uh, we've got to have the courage to get over that and say no i'm not mm. going to be that person for you yeah i think that um you're saying about the courage to do that just disappointing people I think that's just one thing I've had to come to terms with that actually as we have to say no to things because to prioritize what is right sometimes we have to disappoint people and I think just coming to realize that that's fine that that's okay um has been a really helpful revelation that Jesus retreated to quiet spaces away from the people that wanted him and we know our lord does not sin so in retreating he was and in disappointing people he was not sinning and so in disappointing people we are not sinning and that is that can be a a comfort when we prioritize what is what is right and what is necessary and maybe we're not that person that people want us to be rightly or wrongly jess just um I mean, on this resilience question, and it it is very much a buzzword of our time, I have found it very interesting looking at the advice that's given for resilience, just how well it accords with everything that the Christian worldview brings in a sense that there, you know, that, that there's talk about if you have a strong set of values that drive you, if you have good relationships if you take rest and exercise, which of course is part of the Christian worldview, even though we sometimes forget it um, or drop it, but these things resonate so much, which I, I think is part of the evidence in a sense that of creation and of God's good wisdom in creation. And our problems often come when we we work in a way that goes against that 
creation wisdom. I, I know that from personal experience. I was a very slow learner in terms of Sabbath and appreciating Sabbath, which for me, I think, in the last few years has been a, a wonderful discovery of of just uh, I I think of that in terms of the two roots that are there in in Gen in Exodus twenty and in Deuteronomy when God gives the commandment to Israel it's tied to creation and it's tied to redemption and just that sense of slowing down to remember I don't create anything I didn't create myself I don't create anything everything is a good gift from God that we find and so enjoying His creation I've put out more bird feeders in the back garden and just taking more time to to watch the birds and see them and learn from them as the Lord taught us to of dependence on the Father, but also remembering redemption, clinging to that rock that we've heard about. Because I suppose the great irony of resilience language in the wider culture is that it tells you all of this stuff is good for you, but it doesn't actually tell you where you find any of that stuff. You know, where do you find a set of values that drive you and sustain you that is not just because it is good for you, but because it's actually true. And this, I think, is the wonderful thing for us as Christian believers, is, you know, as we've said already, that it's the Lord who is truly resilient. I don't have to be. It's he who conquered and was victorious. And it's because I'm in him that I share in his victory. I overcome not by re-earning that uh, victory or re re fighting it, but but by depending on him, by holding firm in faith, and that is hard. That's a hard slog. Sometimes there are so many things that distract from that, that embattle me in that. But it's simply coming back to say, Lord, and this is what Sabbath for me has become. This is I didn't create anything. I don't redeem anyone or anything. <laughs> You've done that. I get to enjoy that. I get to celebrate that. I get to take a day a week when I don't have to be productive. I don't have to do anything that produces something or proves something or, you know, is recordable or justifiable to simply celebrate that. And then I get to go into the rest of my week remembering that, that, that everything I do is simply following on from sharing in celebrating and, and, and working out the, the significance of that salvation. And the other thing that's really helped me at a very practical level, and it resonates with something Claire said, but I've, well, we have noticed the development in our children, which is partly simply because they're getting older um, and their brains are starting to work in a different way um, than they did before. And that's been good, um, you know, to see that. But it's probably also partly because we're just seeing them more and, and observing that more and, and, more of that is happening with us and in our family devotions, which have become a really significant thing for us. It's the one point in the day when, you know, we say we're going to open the Bible and there's never a pushback from the children, thankfully, so far. In fact, they they honor that, they understand that, but also they're beginning to ask questions and engage more with that. And that's been wonderful for me as a father to be learning from them. You know, so they have helped to sustain me in my faith <laughs> as I have hopefully helped to sustain them. Um, and I realize not everybody has that or, or you know, uh, our children don't always follow in those things or appreciate it. But that has been great for me personally. So I suppose I'd encourage folks to keep those family devotional times and those healthy rhythms of Sabbath, whatever else they do in the other six days or in the other 
23 hours in the day or whatever it is um, when they're not doing those things. Those are two things that have really helped me. Brilliant. Our time is almost up. So just to finish, thinking of someone who might be on the other side of this recording, who maybe feels a bit at sea, perhaps, um, things are chaotic, maybe they're hard, pressures in their ministry or home or just from this last year, and they'd love to start a practice or just to be feeling that they have that sustainable, resilient, joy-filled faith. And I just wondered if we could all share maybe one thing that strikes us of somewhere where we'd encourage them to start or them to to know if that's how that person is feeling right now. Can I, uh, can I have a go at two just very quickly? Um, I think Zoom's been a very interesting experience for many of us over the last year because of... The fact that you can you can see usually one person very very large in front pinned in front of you you get something pinned right in front of your face, and you can see yourself as well. And a lot of what we're talking about, I think, has to do with what you, what is filling up our gaze, what what we're gazing at, what's filling our perspective, what what is pinned, what what's in speak of you. And if what you can see and speak of you is debilitating and you can see yourself, and those are the only two things you're seeing, then um, this season is just designed to really deplete you in all kinds of ways. So finding ways to, um, well, hide the view of ourselves so we're not looking at ourselves and to pin up the stuff that is constructive, um, you know, consider him. Uh, it says, doesn't it, Hebrews, consider him, not consider other things. But the second thing I want to say is we're really bad at doing that on our own. And on our own is precisely what this season has really caused us to be. So I, I, you think about a Moses needing a Jethro to come from outside to break his patterns of debilitation. What we actually need is to open ourselves up to intervention of care and wisdom when we're struggling. So Unpin the helpful stuff, pin the Lord up there. If you can't do it on your own, share if you possibly can and just get external input and wisdom. If you're in church leadership, then the Living Leadership Associates Network of mentors is a great place to to get that outside your own situation. I wanted to pick up, Jess, on something you were saying about learning that it's okay to disappoint people. And I think that connects quite strongly with one of the key lessons that I've learned in the last year. I think in the first few months, I constantly felt that I was letting people down. You know, I wasn't managing to, I wasn't managing to, um, you know, perform my job to the standard that I would hope for. I, I didn't feel that I was looking after my family as well as I would like. And it didn't matter how much those people said, no, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. I felt I was letting them down. And gradually, I came to realize that actually, I need to just be concerned about the audience of one, that it's it's about God. And he's he's the only one whose approval I need. And actually, I already have it because in Christ I can do no more 
and he has already shown me that his approval is 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 full in Jesus. And so yes, learning learning to learning to accept that it's about the audience of one. And I think I think that's true on a personal level. I think it's undoubtedly true in ministry, particularly as we reach this point where we're going to start to have restrictions lifted, hopefully. There's going to be all kinds of voices. We should do this. We should do it that way. Some of those voices will be very loud. And to remember that there's an audience of one, I think, is hopefully would be helpful through that period. I think the one thing I would throw in, which I think brings probably together those two things, I think Claire is absolutely right. There's that audience of one. And of course, he is the great inspiration isn't he I mean going back to Hebrews that Marcus (laughs) mentioned is that idea of keeping our eyes fixed on him who's the author and perfecter of our faith again there's a there's a race that has already been set out I think we sometimes think we have to plow the race we have to figure out the race the race is already set out that race of faithful living Jesus has has shown the way but then there's also the great cloud of, of witnesses who are cheering on, of course, um, in the context in Hebrews 11, they're already and, and testifying to the life of faith. They're already gone to glory, but some of them aren't. Um, and I think just finding the encouragers around us, I think people are chronically under encouraged, genuinely. They, uh, the number of people I talk to, men especially, and I, but maybe that's because I mainly talk to men, but they, they, they lack friends real spiritual friends people who you know they've discovered in this time how few people actually make an effort to contact them and that's tragic in a sense you know unless they need them to do something for them and it's a very different thing if someone only contacts you if they need something from you and so there's two sides to this one is look out for those people and of course be one of those people sometimes you've got to take the initiative and be that person don't you and then you realize Somebody else was looking for that friendship or looking for that encouragement. But but it is by encouragement, it is by that feeding into one another, reminding one another of Jesus, just listening well to one another, inspiring one another, spurring one another on, that I think we we keep going. And and so I, I want to commit to be that. I want to find those people around me who will be that. And and as Marcus has already mentioned, living leadership is here to be that. I mean, if, if there's anything that we as ministry staff or associates want to do for people, it is to encourage them because we meet so many who are just under encouraged. And if there are folks listening to this who aren't church leaders, please encourage your church leaders in the midst of all of those voices of what you would like them to do for you, which is not wrong to bring to them, but make sure there is encouragement to thank them for what they do you know, make their work as Hebrews puts it again, Hebrews 13, make it a joy for them because they watch over you as people who will give account to God. So if you're a church leader, make sure you're accountable to him and living transparently with him and, and serving your people. But if you're a church member, make sure you're making that easy for them because they really need it at this time. That's brilliant. I guess my last and final thought is I can so easily forget things which if you could see my room my room is covered in words was one thing I realized at the beginning of the pandemic verses and lyrics and loads of things where they've spoken to me 
and I've put them on my walls. And in the pandemic, that's been really helpful to remind me of things I can easily forget. And one of the things that's on my walls is just the lyrics to a song written by a guy called Brock Human. And the lyrics are simply come away with me. And actually, that's my admonishment to anybody who feels that broken is that actually, I, I hear those words in my soul when I feel like that come away with me, just come away. And so that is always the place I have to start. And so that's always the place that I encourage others to start as well that the Lord is, I often find waiting for me to just come to his feet when I feel that broken. Well, I think our time is up and I want to thank you all so much for joining me on this podcast episode today. I do hope that something that we've said is an encouragement to those listening. As many of us have said, if you do feel like you would value support, refreshment, we are here to support you. Our associates are here to meet one-to-one or our Refresh Network Online, which meets twice a month for leaders to provide refreshment is available as well or just reach out to us and we would love to support you however we are able through our ministries. So thank you all for joining me today. And we do hope that we'll be able to welcome many listeners back again to a future episode. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. You'll find us on any major social media platform at Living Leaders or visit our website www.livingleadership.org where you'll also find more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.